0: at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching by television, those who are watching online, those at our Sugarloaf campus, thank you for being a part of a service today. And I'm uh, tell you, I, there's, there's some sermons I, I'm always excited to preach, but there's sometimes my excitement level a little bit over the top. This is one of those times, but it's not gonna really start out that well. America has a cheating problem. And I, I'm not talking about your high schooler who may or may not cheat to pass their history final. I'm talking about cheating in marriage. According to a recent Gallup poll, 20% of men and 13% of women admitted to cheating on their spouse. But the key word here is admitted because pollsters tell us that a lot of people will lie in a survey like that because of what they call social acceptability bias. In other words, you get it subconsciously in your mind, even though they don't know who's answering the question, but somebody might find out, so they'll purposely lie. Because infidelity is widely believed to be immoral, cheaters will also lie and deny that they're cheating. So posters believe the real numbers could be double or even triple what we think. We know for a fact that just behind money problems, adultery or the suspicion of adultery is the number one cause of the breakup of a marriage. You've heard it said many times that the foundation of marriage is trust. I know that for a fact. I've counseled a lot of married couples, and once you lose trust in your spouse, once that happens, things can go sideways in a hurry. And I'm absolutely convinced that trust is is essential, not just to a marriage, But I found in my own life, if you're going to have a true, strong, productive, real relationship with anybody, you've got to have trust. And trust is built on the foundation of faithfulness. And I'm not just talking about sexual faithfulness. I'm talking about financial faithfulness. I'm talking about emotional faithfulness. I'm talking about faithfulness to tell the truth, faithfulness to hear the truth. The wisest man who ever lived asked this question thousands of years ago. He said, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person, who can find? Solomon said, it's a hard thing to find someone that is really faithful. And I'm going to be honest, it's probably a lot harder to answer that question than it was thousands of years ago. Now, we have been in a series, we're wrapping it up today, that we're calling Mirror Image. And what we've been saying is this. If you had a mirror that would show you not what you look like on the outside, but what you look like on the inside, what would you see? Would your reputation, what people think about you, really match up with your character, who you really are? So as we wrap up this series, we're going to look at a bedrock of character that I believe is both a revealer of your true character and a developer of your true character, and that is faithfulness. Faithfulness. I used to say something, I'm gonna kind of, uh, some of you, I've been your pastor for over 30 years, some of you 25, some of you 20, some of you for 15 years. I've been your pastor for a long time, so I'm gonna admit something. I have preached something over and over and over and over, and I realized in this message I was totally wrong. Now, I've only been wrong twice in my life, only twice. Once is what I'm about to tell you. The other time, I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't, okay? I've been wrong, but I'm gonna tell you something I've been wrong. I have said this a thousand times. I have said the greatest ability is availability. How many of you heard me say that at least one time? You have. The greatest ability is availability. That's wrong. I take it back. I retract that. I no longer believe that. I believe the greatest ability is not availability, I believe the greatest ability is reliability. Because if you're available, but you're not reliable, it'd be better off if you just weren't available. So reliability trumps availability every time. And today, we're gonna look at a man that was inducted into God's Hall of Fame for one reason. He was faithful. The savior of the world came into the world because this man was faithful. There is a nation in existence today that history long ago given up for dead that rose from the ashes and is one of the most powerful nations in the world because this man was faithful. He's been called the father of the faithful. He's been called the brightest star in the Hebrew heaven because of his faithfulness. Can anybody guess his name? Abraham. His name was Abraham. And there was an incident that took place in his life that gave him an opportunity to demonstrate and define what true faithfulness really is. It is a fascinating story. And if you brought a copy of God's Word or you want to look on some kind of a device, we're in the first book of the Bible, chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22. And as you turn to that, let me just kind of tell you what's going on. The story actually begins 25 years earlier. Here's what happened. Abraham was living in a place called Ur. And God calls Abraham out of Ur and says, Abraham, I want you to go to a foreign land. I want you to leave your country and I want you to go to a foreign place because I wanna use you to redeem the world. Well, his faithfulness kicks in in the very first day of the story because God tells Abraham, I want you to leave your country, leave your people, leave your family. And he was asking for a tremendous sacrifice because back in that day, your identity was wrapped up in two things. Your identity was wrapped up in the clan that you belonged to and the land that you lived on. Your security depended upon those same things because back in the day, there wasn't any such thing as as police officers. So the only defense you had against crime and assault and thievery and robbery was your family. Your future prosperity was at stake because back in in that day, when you got old, they didn't have welfare. They didn't have social security. They didn't have a safety net. So the only hope you had that you would be cared for would either be your children that you had or your extended family. And so God is telling Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave all of that behind. I want you to leave with nothing in your pocket except me. What does Abraham do? He obeys God. He leaves with the assurance of God's promise that God would make him a great nation and God would bless him for all eternity. God said to Abraham, I am going to give you a child and from that child will come a nation that will be so great, it will be greater than the sands of the sea. Now keep in mind, when God told Abraham that, he and Sarah conservatively had been married about 50 years. And then we read this verse. Now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. So even though at the time when God said that to Abraham, he had no idea how God was going to do that because he didn't have a child and they could not have children. He trusted God. He said, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe you're going to do it. Now, 25 years later, we come to Genesis chapter 22. And what happens at first, let me just give you a warning here. It's very confusing. The story is very hard to believe. But what makes this story so hard is also what makes it so inspiring because this story tells us what faithfulness really means and why faithfulness is so important to character. Now, I want you to take a faithful test this morning. How faithful are you? I don't mean just to your spouse. I don't mean just to your family. How faithful are you in every area of your life, in your relationships, in your finances, in your church life? in your work life. How faithful are you really? Well, let me tell you what faithfulness means. It means three things. If you're faithful, you will go where you need to go. If you're faithful, you will go where you need to go. Now, let me give you a spoiler alert right off the bat. When I first read this story, you're gonna be dazed. You're gonna be confused. You're gonna be scratching your head. You may even get angry. You may even be one of those people today and there's more and more of these people who say, this is why I don't like the God of the Old Testament. This is why I don't even like the Old Testament. This is why I wish we didn't even have an Old Testament. We pick it up in Genesis 22, verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I am going to show you. Never before or since had God ever asked for a human sacrifice. In that interim period from from where we read 25 years ago, Abraham and Sarah conceived, and they had this beautiful boy, and his name was Isaac. And now here's God telling Abraham, to take the very son that he had promised him, the very son he'd put all of his hopes on, the very son that represented everything he hoped for, and he said, I want you to go and sacrifice him. Now, before you jump to any conclusions, before you start throwing rocks at God, before you say, yep, that's why I don't like the Old Testament, there is a key word here that governs the entire story. Let me tell you about this. Some of you will remember this, some of you won't, but between 1963 in 1997, you heard this message many, many times, all right? It went like this. This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. How many of you remember that? So you're showing your age, okay? You remember that, right? You'd be watching your favorite ball game or maybe your favorite soap opera ladies or whatever, and all of a sudden you hear this, ah, 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 remember that? This is a test, this is only a test. Well, the first sentence of this story is the key to the entire story because we're being told up front, God is testing Abraham. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated tested literally means prove the quality of something, prove whether something's worthy or not by putting it through some kind of trial. Now, let me just tell you something about God you just need to understand, get comfortable with. There's something about you and God that sometimes we forget, and when we forget it, we get all sideways with God. Are you ready? We are in the trusting business. God is in the testing business. Got it? Our job is to trust. His job is to test. Now, testing can be a good thing. You may say, well, I don't like it when God tests me. Well, wait a minute. Testing may be a very good thing. How many of you would like to fly on an airplane and just as you buckle in, they say, oh, by the way, this is our first test run on this plane. Good luck. Or How many of you would like to have a doctor perform surgery on you who never even took one test in medical school? I heard the other day there was a man in the hospital about to have surgery. He was, so, he was just worried. He was so scared. And he was just, you know, just, I mean, he's just really shaking like a leaf. And so the doctor walked in and he said, man, son, he said, you, you look kind of nervous. He said, well, doc, I am nervous. He said, this is, this is my first surgery. The doctor said, I know how you feel. It's my first surgery too. I mean, how would you like to be operated on by that kind of a doctor? So the opening line is to help cushion us from the shock of the story that follows. Now, keep in mind, the entire story is a what? It's a test, gotta keep that in mind. This is a test. Now, you say, okay, I got another problem. Why does God test us? It's a good question. Why does God test us? Well, God tests us for two reasons. Testing is an opportunity for God to prove his faithfulness to us. And testing is an opportunity for us to prove our faith in God. It's his opportunity to prove his faithfulness to us. It is an opportunity for him, us to prove our faith in him. Because remember, I'm going to say this again. We're in the trusting business. God is in the testing business. Faith is shown in faithfulness. And faith is grown through faithfulness. See, God not only gives us faith. When we come to him and we trust him, God gives us faith. But you know what God says? I'm gonna give you faith, but when your faith right now is just a baby faith, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not just going to give you faith, I'm going to grow your faith. And you know what I'm gonna grow your faith? I'm gonna grow your faith by testing your faith. That's how I do it. And I'll tell you something, nobody does a better job of testing than God. He's the master tester because nobody's probably ever been tested like Abraham because this test comes in the form of three commands. Remember what he told Abraham to do with Isaac? Go, take, and sacrifice as a burnt offering. Now, we don't really know exactly what he said to him because we don't understand what that means because those words hide how graphic this really is. Let me tell you what a burnt sacrifice was. When you offered a burnt sacrifice, first of all, you had to kill the animal by slitting his throat. Then after you slit the animal's throat, you had to cut that animal up into pieces. You had to dismember that animal. Then you had to offer the body part, one part by one part as a sacrifice of fire. Now that is what God is asking Abraham to do. It's not lethal injection. It's not just putting him to sleep. He said, I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. And I agree, you're going, wait a minute, how strange is it that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice the very son he had given him and promised him. This is the boy that is supposed to be the forerunner of the Jewish nation. It's the son that Abraham loved. And by the way, this is the first time the word love is ever found in the Bible. And it's interesting to me that it speaks of a love that a father has for a son. Incidentally, just kind of a trivia for you, the first time the word love is ever used in the New Testament, it's used in the book of Matthew talking about the father's love for his son, God the father's love for God the son. So he says, Abraham, this is your, the son, the only son you've got, the son that you love. Go and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Well, how does Abraham respond? Now, before I tell you, in case you don't know the story, there's a bigger question for us. How would you respond? That's a hard question, hard question for me. How would you respond? Well, it all depends on how faithful you are. This was Abraham's response. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, I don't know about you, that just blows my mind. There's no hesitation, there's no argumentation, there's no confrontation. There's no deliberation. All Abraham said was, I go where I need to go. I'm a faithful man. I go where I need to go. Let me tell you something. The ultimate test of faithfulness is whenever you're willing to lay the thing that is the dearest to your heart at the feet of God and put it in the hands of God. So remember I told you this is a test? Well, I'm gonna test us right now, okay? Here's a test question for you. Which do you love more? You fill in the blank. The blank God has given to you or the God who has given you the blank. Now, I'm just be honest. Put any word in there you want to. Which do you love more? The children God has given you, or the God who's given you the children? The grandchildren God has given you, or the God that's given you the grandchildren? The money that God's given you, or the God that's given you the money. The success that God has given you, or the God that has given you the success. The life God has given to you, or the God that has given you the life. Then you gotta ask this question, am I willing to go where I need to go, no matter what I have to sacrifice, or no matter what I have to give up? That's what faithfulness does. Faithfulness goes where it needs to go. Here's the second thing faithfulness does. When you're faithful, you'll give what you need to give. You won't just go where you need to go. You will give what you need to give. Now, this next sentence paints a picture I want you to kind of chew on just for a minute, okay? Watch this. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, and he himself carried the fire and... The knife. Now Abraham and Isaac are going up to a place called Mount Moriah. If you go with me to Israel, I'm going this year. Hope you can go. If you've been with me, we've been to Mount Moriah. Moriah is not a particularly high mountain; it's only 2,700 feet above sea level. But no one, maybe ever, except Jesus, ever climbed a higher mountain than Abraham and Isaac did that day. Because I want to remind you of something: when we think about success in the 20th century, what do we think of? We think about being wealthy. We think about having a high position. We think about having great power. We think about having a lot of influence. That wasn't the way they thought about success in in Abraham's day. In Abraham's day, success was totally tied to family. The greatest hope that a person could have that they would live a meaningful life and leave behind a legacy was to leave behind children, whether you're a father or a mother, leave leave behind descendants who would also go on to become people of wealth and influence. So what God is asking Abraham is, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice the only chance you've got to leave anything meaningful behind. I want you to sacrifice the only thing you've got that will help you be what I told you you would be. I want you to sacrifice the only thing you've got that will give you security in your old age. As a matter of fact, it's almost like God rubs it in, right? God even reminds Abraham, oh, Abraham, by the way, this is your only son. This is the son that you love. So, Abraham has a dilemma. Does he love the son that God gave him more than the God that gave him the son? I mean, is God really his one and only God? Because anything that you love more Desire more, crave more, want more, serve more. That is your God. And that God is an idol. So this is a checkpoint of Abraham's faith in God and his faithfulness to God. And what God is saying to Abraham is, Abraham, is your love for me greater than your love for your son? Is your faith in me greater than your feelings for your son? He is at a real crossroads. And by the way, it's a question we have to answer almost on a daily basis. Will I now be faithful to the God that is always faithful to me? Will I be faithful now to the God that is always faithful to me? Because I want to tell you, this, this, is, this I know it's tough, but listen. The way our faith and the way God's faithfulness operates is this. God will not reveal his faithfulness to us until we reveal our faith in him. God will not reveal his faithfulness to us until we reveal our faith in him. We don't like this, but you know what God's always saying? You go first. I'm not going first. You know why? Because if God reveals his faithfulness first, we don't need to have faith. So God says, no, I tell you what, you may let me see and know, and I want you to know you've got faith in me, and then I will be faithful to you. And see, that's the hard part. Because faith means going all in. Faith is an all or nothing sellout. Let me, let me, listen, I want you, this is where a lot of you need to listen to me. Because this is where a lot of you live your life. I'm just being honest. You can't be half faithful to God. You, you, you can't be faithful to God part of the time. You, you can't be faithful to God only when you feel like it or, or it's convenient or it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that I came in into, came into the house yesterday and I said, Teresa, I just want you to know something. She says, yeah, what is it? I said, you know, I haven't always been faithful to you, but I only messed up one day in the last month. Now, how do you think that'd work out for me? Or, or, or how, how about this? Honey, Teresa, I just got to tell you something. I met a woman the other day You'll be so proud of me. She was a knockout. You'll be so proud of me. I was almost faithful to you. That's the way a lot of us are with God. Just be honest. I'll be faithful when I feel like it. I'll be faithful when it's not raining. I'll be faithful if it doesn't cost me any money. I'll be faithful if I don't have to serve. I'll be faithful if it doesn't put me out. I'll be faithful if it's not inconvenient. You can't be faithful that way. You can't be faithful part of the time. You know what Teresa wants out of her husband? She wants me to be faithful in every way on every day that ends in Y. That's what she wants out of me. And I'm telling you today, God demands and God desires and God deserves nothing less. And Abraham comes through with flying colors. Watch this. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, yes, my son, Abraham replied, to find the water here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, Isaac, he's a smart kid. He's seen a lot of these sacrifices over and over and over. And he realizes as they're walking up the mountain, hey, Dad, you forgot the lamb. So, Dad. Where's the sacrifice? And I love Abraham's answer Son, God will provide. God will provide. Listen, Abraham was teaching his son one of the greatest lessons you'll teach your children, and one of the greatest lessons you'll ever teach your grandchildren. Listen to this God's business is to keep his promises, our business is to believe he will keep them and live accordingly. Now, can I be honest? Can I just be honest? I'm just, again, I'm just, you know, I, I was preaching at a conference in Tennessee yesterday and the guy got up, you know, he introduced me and I, thought, I hope it was a compliment. Because I'll tell you why I love James Merritt. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Well, I try not to. So I'm not gonna sugarcoat this. A lot of us, let's be honest, we live our lives like we really don't believe everything God says. Because if we truly believed everything God says, a lot of us would be living different than we're living today. Your marriage would look different. Your checkbook would look different. The way you talk to people would be different. The way you share Christ would be different. If we really believe God keeps his promises. And see, here's what Abraham was doing. Abraham was not just declaring his faith. He was not just expressing his faithfulness even though he didn't know it. You know what he was doing? He was prophesying about the future. You say, what do you mean? This story is a perfect type and a picture of what happened almost 2,000 years later because 2,000 years later, you know what God did? He provided a sacrificial lamb except it was his son and he did put him on the altar and he did put the spikes in his hand so that he could forgive us of all of our sins. And see, so as you go through life, you're going to find God's going to test you. God's going to stretch your faith. And But here's what I've always learned. I've learned it all of my life. In all the years I've been a believer, let me tell you something. God, he has 100% grades. You ready? 100%. God always provides. Not some of the time, not most of the time. God always provides he always has and he always will so here's what i want you to understand if you're ever asked to give up your isaac and we all are the last week i was in college i gave up my isaac i've told you the story many times i did not want to do what i'm doing right now i want to do what my oldest son's doing i wanted to be a lawyer that's all i cared about doing that was my isaac and i was at a crossroads in my in my room at stetson university in 1974 i'm at a crossroads I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to go where you want me to go. I don't want to give what you want me to give. And I had to make a decision. And in that still small room, God said to me, I will provide. And what happens next proves that not only can you go where you need to go, if you believe what's about to happen, you will gladly give what you need to give because look, look what God does. Watch this. When I go where I need to go and I give what I need to give, I get what I need to get. That's what will happen. When you go where you need to go and you give what you need to give, you'll get what you need to get. Now, this story is coming to a breathtakingly climactic, surprising conclusion. All right, listen to this. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his... Can you imagine this? He takes the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son, son. Abraham is about to do the unthinkable. He's about to do the unbelievable when the angel of God stops him. Now, now, listen, what's the whole point of the story? All right. Let me refresh your memory. This story is a, it's a test. All right. It is a test. Now Abraham understood. Now watch this. This is so good. This I promise you this is worth getting up when that when you didn't want to get up this morning and come out. This is worth it right here. You ready? God didn't want Isaac. God wanted Abraham. I've said this before and we'll say it again. God doesn't want your money. Now, so a lot of people are smiling. I know that'd make you happy. It's better than that. What does God want? You. He wants your money. He wants you. He didn't want Abraham's son. He wanted Abraham's surrender. He didn't want Abraham's family. He wanted Abraham's faith demonstrated in un- 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 favor. And by the way, you say, wait a minute. Didn't God know what was in Abraham's heart? Absolutely he did. God wanted Abraham to know what was in his heart. And sometimes God forces us to get in front of the mirror, that mirror we've been talking about, and say, do you really have faith or not? What you're gonna find out, I know whether you do or not, you need to know. So watch this, this is how this works, you ready? God tested Abraham. Abraham passed the test. Now this is so good, you ready? That's how you get a testimony. Now, come on, give me some love here, okay? Now, listen. When God tests you, and you pass the test, you then have a testimony. Because you know what a test is? Are you ready for this? This is how God's so smart. A test is simply an opportunity to gain a testimony so you can give a testimony. And does Abraham ever have a testimony? And his testimony is more amazing because there's a secret to Abraham's faith. There's a secret to his faith, and I want to show you this. No, some of you are going, man, I don't know if I could do that or not. I don't know how in the world Abraham pulled that off. I'm not sure I could do it. There was a secret sauce that I purposely held back because I skipped over some verses that are key to the whole thing because I want you to listen what he said to the men he brought with him before he took Isaac up to the mountain. Watch this. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then, everybody say that word with me. We will what? We'll come back to you. Wait a minute. Dude, Isaac's not coming back. Why didn't Abraham say, we're gonna go up to worship and I'll come back. He didn't say that. He said, we're gonna go worship, and we will come back. How could he say that? Because Abraham is absolutely convinced that even though he's going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, they are going to come back together. Now, I'll guarantee you this is true. At that time, he didn't really understand what he was being asked to do. He didn't understand how it was gonna work out, but he trusted the one who is asking him to do it. So the question is, why in the world did Abraham think they would come back together? Why, why in the world did Abraham believe they would come back together? Well, the answer is found in a verse of Scripture that goes back, that, that looks back over 2,000 years to what happened. Here's what we read in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, he believed God, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offering will be reckoned. Now watch this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from Death. Now, watch this. This is I'm telling you. This is one of the greatest stories you. This is why you ought to read the Old Testament. It's great stuff. Not right, Rick? Great stuff, isn't it, Rick? Rick knows what I'm talking about. Great stuff in the Old Testament. God had made Abraham a promise. He had promised that Isaac would be a part of a great line of people that would bless the world. And even though God was asking him to sacrifice Isaac, here's what he knew. I don't know how this is going to work out, God, but I'm going to slit his throat. I'm going to cut him in pieces. I'm going to offer him on this altar because there's one thing I know. You will not break your promise. So he's thinking to himself, okay, A, God's told me to sacrifice Isaac. B, God promised that through Isaac, through nobody else, through that guy, that son right there, he's going to keep every promise he made to me. Therefore, I can only draw one conclusion. God is going to raise him from the dead. That's what we're saying amen about. God is gonna raise him from the dead. That's the only conclusion right. And you know what he's doing again? Here he goes again. He's prophesying an event that would happen 2,000 years later because guess what happened 2,000 years later? God provided a sacrifice. Except in this instance, it would be his own son. Except in this instance, he did kill his own son, but he brought him back from the dead. So, the proof of your faith this is where it really comes down to where the rubber hits the road okay if you want to know if you if you if you want to know what the real point of this story is i can tell you in two words what this whole story is all about talks cheap talk is cheap don't tell me don't even tell god i believe you i trust you you know what god says show me your faith by your faithfulness you go where i tell you to go You give what I tell you to give, believing that at the end of it, you'll get what you need to get. Because listen, if God never fails to do what he says he will do, we never have to hesitate to be faithful to do what he tells us to do. So when you put this story in context, it is a beautiful story. It's a preview of coming attractions. It's a picture of a God who makes the ultimate sacrifice. He puts his own one and only son, his beloved son, on the altar of sacrifice for our sin. Do you know why he sacrificed Jesus for our sin? So we would never have to be sacrificed for our sin. Why do you think? What, what was it that Abraham caught in that thicket? It was a ram, remember that? Caught how? Thorns? Why do you think they put a crown of thorns on the head of Jesus? Same picture, except he was the sacrifice. He was our, on our altar, he was our Isaac. Oh, by the way, you do know where Mount Moriah is. You, you, you do, you, you may maybe not realize it. You've been to Israel, you've been there many times. It is the mountaintop where the city of Jerusalem and the temple stood mount moriah is the same place where jesus christ did die for our sins where he made the ultimate sacrifice where god did provide a savior for the world so we'll wrap this up Note god's final words okay because it gets better and better and better What's this god says i swear by myself declares the lord i will surely bless you and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me now look what god does God swears, says, raises his hand. He says, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Oh, by the way, I am God. In other words, no higher oath could be given. No sure promise could be made because it's made by the God who always keeps his word, who never breaks a promise. So there's one thing we can now all know about the God that we serve from this story. You ready? God will never give you a reason to distrust him. God will never give you a reason to distrust him, even though your reason may say you can't trust him. And because Abraham remained faithful, because Abraham passed the test, look at all the things that happened. He became the father, not just of all the Jews, He became the father of all the faithful who come to believe in the one who was truly sacrificed, Jesus Christ. And because of his faithfulness, he has now become the father of a family, the Bible says, will number more than the sands of the sea. So let me just tell you something. Your faithfulness will never exceed God's favor. If you honor God with your faithfulness, God will honor you even more. If you bless God with your faithfulness, God will bless you even more. So let's make this practical. Let's make this right where you get down every day. Many of you are gonna get up in the morning, go fight Atlanta traffic, you're gonna to go to work, you're gonna to go to your job just like you do every Monday. So when you get up in the morning, I want, you to, I want you to do something just for one day, okay? When you get up in the morning and you slide your legs off that bed and you sit up and you're rubbing your eyes and you realize it's another day, If you can remember to do this, I want you to say four words. You ready? This is a test. Because every day is a test. Every day. God never takes a break from testing. Every day is a test. So, for example, will you be faithful to worship God privately and corporately? Will you be faithful? Yes, to get up on Sunday and come here every time the doors are open when you can. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful to serve God? Will you be faithful when you know there's a need, whether it's in our preschool area, our children's area, our teenagers, our children? Will you be faithful to go where you need to go and serve God both inside the church and outside the church? Will you be faithful to do what Jesus did for three years of his life? Get in a small group. Everybody ought to be in one. That's how we disciple people. That's how we grow. That's how your faith grows. Will you be faithful to be discipled with a small group of Christians that need your encouragement and need you to be encouraged? Will you be faithful, whether it's to your next door neighbor or somebody in Vietnam or South America? Will you be faithful to be sent wherever God wants you to go to share the gospel that transforms you for all eternity? And can I tell you how important faithfulness is? And I'm going to be done. Of all the things that Jesus could say to us when we get to heaven, of all the things, we only read of one thing we know he wants to say to all of us, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. So would you say with me today what Abraham said 2,000 years ago 3,000 years ago, you can count on me. Let's pray together.